Well, we have been working through a series on the table, and today we finally get to the part of the dinner meal where there is food. We're going to talk about what we eat today. And I was thinking about like food that satisfies and food that doesn't quite satisfy, and, and there's a lot of food that doesn't satisfy that you just eat through and eat through, and then you're like, wait, how much did I eat? And I think like the, the food that most gives me this feeling is the chip bag. You know, you get this chip bag, and it looks so full, and you know, you've got so much air in there. And you're like, oh, well, that's how much is in there. And if you don't pour the chips onto a plate before you know it, the bag's empty because you just keep munching and munching and it never actually fills you. And we all are tempted to go through the chip bag of life, going through things that doesn't fill us, doesn't sustain us, doesn't give us life. And so uh, today we're going to go to the table and we're going to listen to uh, one of the most famous stories of the Bible, uh, the story that sometimes is called the prodigal son. Uh, which leaves out a few of the characters in the story. Uh, but we're going to walk through this story together, a story we've, if you've been in a church setting, you've probably heard this story a lot. Uh, but it is one that always brings life as you read it. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to walk through this story together. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. Now, we'll remember that for later. We're going to spend a lot of time with one of those sons, and you all know that situation in life where maybe there's two kids and one of them needs special attention. And so uh, this man has two sons, but one of them has a great idea, he thinks, one day. And so the younger of them says to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And the father did it. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property and dissolute living. Now, this story is going to feel exaggerated. It's going to feel extreme. And we can all think about extreme cases in our own life of people who've really just left it all behind. Um, But I think there's something in this guy that feels at home with a lot of people, Uh, that there's this longing, there's this hunger for what what do I need that I don't have right now? What do I need? Where can I go that I will fill this void in me? Because he's not satisfied at home. He's not satisfied with waiting. Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. Give me the inheritance now. And that, that feels outrageous. But we do see it. You know, there's a lot of elder abuse that happens, especially in today's age with people living further away and digital kind of communications and all sorts of scams, but like, you know, people that kind of finagle their way into getting their parents' money and using it the way that they want to use it, not necessarily the way that might support uh, their parent. Uh, There's this temptation of, I want what's mine. I want what I need. Give me what I deserve. And he has this hunger that he's 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 got to take it. Give it to me now. And he goes off to a far land, and he quickly blows through everything that he has. Because when you want everything right now, it's easy to lose everything right now. And so he loses everything. And I was thinking about um, like this allure, this like gravity that you want something so bad, you'll travel wherever you can to get it. And one of my favorite... um, weird human psychology stories of, of recent years is uh, the fire Festival, which maybe you've heard of, maybe you've heard me talk about, but um, there was this idea, which this music festival that they had this idea for was 
actually just an ad for an app that they wanted to make. They wanted to make an app where you could book a celebrity for your event. Like, man, I, I want to have this musician come from this concert at, at my private event. And it was all about helping people feel like they could fill that need with some celebrity in their life. And they're like, well, what's the best way to advertise this? What if we throw the biggest party on an island? How do we get people to want to be there? And so they, what they decided to do was pay all of the top like, ten, like uh, supermodels in the world to come play around on a beach, we'll take a bunch of photos, and people will want to be there. And so the next level is, if we get all of the social media influencers to take pictures that, that say like, hey, what is this thing? And if all the influencers are talking about it, if all the top models are there and there's musicians gonna be there, people are gonna wanna show up. And it, long term, this is, ends up being a scam. And the way that scams work is it allures something of you. It's like, here's something that you want right now. On, on the basic level in scams in society today, it's a refund, it's, it's some sort of like small amount of money that hooks you. But the next thing you know, you've traveled into this weird situation and there ends up being nothing there. And this, this guy in the story, he's like, I, I wanna go to this country, I, I want to live now. And, and he ends up finding out that there's nothing there for him. That he, he just squanders it all. It's all gone, it all vanishes. And it's like all idols, all things that we put our worship in that can't sustain us, that can't fill us, that this, like, oh, I'll give you my allegiance if you'll just give me this thing back, and it ends up not satisfying. It can't fulfill it. And this man, he, he squanders it, it's all gone. He loses everything. And he realizes while he's lost everything, what he longs for, what he used to have, what he needs. And so he's there and he's like, man, I've lost everything. Life wasn't so bad before. I don't know why I couldn't see it, but at least my, my dad's servants had food. And not only did they have food, but they had enough to share. Like, they had enough. And right now, I'm living amongst this pig farm, and which for for Jews, would not be a sign of a positive place to be. You're around unclean animals. The unclean animals have more food than you. And for us, like to internalize that of like, I don't, I don't know what would feel like a stark enough reality for us to realize we've gone so far from home. Uh, maybe you're in like, um, like a, a burqa textile factory. Or if you're like, oh, this is a different religious tradition. It is not my home. Or maybe if you try to think in the secularization of like, Man, maybe this is uh, an, an industry that is not uh, thought reputable uh, that I'm working in. And, and you found yourself in this place and you're like, man, life at home wasn't so bad. And so he realizes that he's hungry. And I think uh, he says it just matter-of-factly. He says, I'm dying of hunger. I'm dying of hunger. And I think that he has a true realization there that he's hungry, he needs something, and he tried to fill it with something that couldn't sustain him. I think we live in a time in society right now where people are realizing they're hungry, not just literally, though that is actually very true. Uh, one of the favorite little tech tools that I like to use is Google Trends. You can look and see what people are searching for. And so you can do all sorts of timelines of in the last five years, in the last 10 years, 
uh, what kind of terms are people looking for? And on the graph, it shows you over time like the relative, the relative size of searches. And the search for food pantries in everyday kind of timeline was very low. And when it got to about March of the pandemic, when it started, it just skyrocketed. And it hits you of like people asking about food pantries. It's not just because they're curious. People were hungry. And people are not just physically hungry. Think about how many people have left jobs in the last year. People have left church communities. People have left uh, wherever they lived and moved away. People are just dissatisfied with what's going on in their life. And something about the pandemic made people like take a, like a look around and was like, what am I even doing? Like for some, for some workers, I can imagine you were at, you know, serving people, you're trying to survive a pandemic and then people are just hateful to you. You're like, you don't pay me enough to deal with this. Like why do I just get treated so awfully? Man, life is so much better somewhere else. And it takes those moments of realizing I'm in the trough, I, I, I'm in this awful place. Is there anything that can sustain me? Is there anything that can bring life, that has value, that has substance? And I think we all have felt that. Like, man, I'm in a routine, but why am I in this routine? What has substance and life enough to sustain me? And so this, this younger son has an idea. He's like, you know, I'm so hungry. Why don't I try going home? One of the things that struck me about that fire festival, of all the people who wanted this life, of like, man, I want to be on the beach with, with supermodels and musicians, and never mind that they didn't have plumbing or lighting or anything to survive on an island that had no infrastructure. Uh, they got to this place and realized quickly that it was an idol that wasn't real. There was no substance to it. And the moment that set it off online where people realized it was when they started serving food. And you were paying tens of thousands of dollars for this trip. And you got this piece, two pieces of bread, two slices of cheese, and a little bit of lettuce off to the side. Man, I did not get the yacht experience. I did not get my private uh, music experience. This is just hellish. And so when we have those moments, we start thinking, I want to get home. And so this younger son decides, okay, I, I'm not worthy to come home. I've realized I've messed up. Maybe I can just be a slave. Maybe I can just be a servant. Maybe dad will just hire me. Because I know I don't belong. I don't, I don't deserve anything anymore. I've messed it all up. So he's got a plan in his mind. He's like, I'm going to go over my apology on the way home. And so he's rehearsing it in his head. And he says, if I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he sets off. You, know, you can imagine he's playing this in his head. They're playing it, playing it. Father, forgive me. Let me be one of your hired hands. He shows up while he was still far off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him, kissed him. And his son tries to get the apology off. His son says, hey, father, I've sinned against heaven. I'm before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father doesn't let him finish. 
He cuts him off. And I love that some ancient traditions want to just finish this off. It's like, hey, we didn't finish the confession. And so there's some, some manuscripts where people have added that last line in. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Because we want to feel like this nice parallelism. He was going to say this, he should say it. But the father doesn't even let him say it. I'm not, you said you're unworthy. Uh, you're not going to get to a part where you're going to say, treat me like a hired hand. Instead, the father says, quickly, go get him a robe, the best one. Put, a, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For a son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. I like the ambiguousness of they, because like, it could just be the father and son, but you get the sense that the workers, that you know, he's been giving orders to the servants, and then it says they began to celebrate. Like Everybody there is excited, is joyous, because what was lost is found. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. Because it seems impossible when you've gone looking for something that will sustain you, and it ended up as an idol. It couldn't sustain you. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't God. And then you're like, can I return from that? So many of us live in so much shame that we refuse to turn back. Because he says, I'm not worthy. The father's going to treat him like he's worthy, even though he's done this. But so many of us would refuse to run back because we're too ashamed. Think about the person who's like, I can't go to that family you know, get together. I can't go to that high school reunion. I can't, like, I can't show up there because I'm not worthy. I don't belong. But this guy shows up and the father treats it like a party because it is exciting because that relationship is restored. It's worth partying about. It's not worth creating this solemn disappointment, shame fest or whatever. Let's celebrate. We're throwing a barbecue. What do you want to eat? Let's go throw it on. And it's in that moment that we were reminded that this man had two sons. You know, the one that got all the attention because he caused a lot of commotion. And and that, that first son who chose to live in famine because he went after things that couldn't sustain. But we have an older brother that also is choosing to live in famine in this story who chooses not to show up to eat, to partake in the celebration. And so the text says that this elder son was in the field. and When he came and he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And I always love this image because it's like, you know that you might be walking in your neighborhood and you're like, oh, somebody's got music on. Like, what is going on over there? Are they working out? Or is this a party? What's happening? But you can hear something is going on. And he doesn't quite know what is going on, but he knows something is up. Instead of walking in, saying, hey, what's going on? As the older brother, as, as a member of this household, he could have just walked in and asked. But instead, he sits at the distance. He's like on the porch, or he's just kind of on the edge. Hey, come here. He whispers, you know, hey, servant, come, here, come over here. Tell me, what's going on? And he wants the gossip, he wants, uh, he wants the tea, he wants to be told what's happening. And the servant tells him, your brother's come home, 
Your father's killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. It tells him good news. And like we like to point out, good news doesn't always sound like good news to people. This should be celebration news. For any of you who've felt the pain of losing a relationship, that family member who's distanced themselves and refuses to, to come back, they're here. Can we put all the things aside and just celebrate? But instead of celebration, the older brother gets angry. He became angry and refused to go in. I like that refusal. That means probably the servant or somebody's like, hey, come on, come in. No. If he's there, I'm not. And so one brother chose to live in famine, squandering everything, going off into a distant land. And one refused to come in. Just angry. Just can't get past it. Because he doesn't deserve to be here. How dare he come back? And that older brother sits outside, pouting. I like to call him the pouting brother, the pouting son. We've got the prodigal son and a pouting son. The pouting son is out on the porch. Father comes out. He's like, man, I was throwing a party. I was so excited. Why you got to be pouting out here? Get in there. What's going on? He pleads with him. But the son answers, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never given, you've never given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. You know, there's a lot of pent-up anger and jealousy. And I think there is jealousy there. I think all of those things that the younger son went out looking for, he wishes he could have had. So he went after prostitutes, he went after all the stuff. I wish I could have some fun. Why don't I get fun? Dad, it's not fair. Where's my goat? I have friends. I want to get together and celebrate. Where's my party? How dare you throw a party for this, this awful son? And while that, old, that younger brother, the prodigal son, the son who comes home, while he squandered everything financially, the older brother is squandering his spirit here. He's not throwing away his dad's money, but he's squandering opportunities. He's squandering his self. He's squandering his relationships. He's throwing out a lot of things and missing out on a lot of things. And I think that in this story, like we are more often the older brother. We are more often the person that just struggles with, uh, it's not my party, and I don't want to celebrate. I don't want to, eh, I want my party. And I was thinking about this story, and I don't know, maybe you, maybe you watch TV and you've seen a bunch of commercials, or maybe you've watched late-night shows and you've seen um, stories about like, like one of the latest shows that's all over TV. Uh, but Netflix started a show called The Squid Game. It's a really quirky show. Um, you know, it's not PG, just as a forewarning out there. It's not kid-friendly. Um, but the premise of the show is that uh, probably people with wealth have decided that they want to 
not have a boring life, and they've set up a contest. And for people who are in lots and lots of debts, um, the story's based in Korea, uh, people with a ton of debts, you can play a bunch of kids' games, and the winner of the games gets a ton of money. And you can get out of debt, you can get whatever you want in life. The twist that makes this a horror show is that it is a deadly round of kids' games. And so it's things like green light, red light. If you're still moving when it's red light, you're shot on the spot. And the, the trauma in this story is when people realize they're playing a deadly game. They thought they were just playing kids' games, but then they realize that there's a weight to it. And that realization comes with a lot of, of challenges. One, in the game, you could all, if the majority of the contestants decide we want to go home, you can go home. Game's over. You don't get the money, but the game's over. And what's fascinating is a, like a psychological experiment is the, the ways in which people are willing to squander their own life, squander their own finances, because they're hoping that they might hit the jackpot. And the prodigal son thinks he's going to hit the jackpot on the road. I don't know what this older brother thinks he's going to get, that like the father's going to be like, all right, tomorrow we're throwing you a party. Um, but as you get put into life and death experiences, as you go into the troughs and into the, the ugly places, you start being at risk of losing yourself. Because once it's life or death, am I going to cheat at this game? Am I going to push somebody else to their death? What would I even do if I got the jackpot? Have I lost my soul in the process? And I think some of us don't realize the weightiness of everyday life, that this brother's reaction has a big impact on this family, on the brother, on the father. And you think, I'm just, I'm just going to throw a fit like it doesn't matter. But it matters. I mean, you're telling the brother, you, you don't belong. Telling the father, if he, if he belongs, I don't because I'm out of here. You're fracturing relationships. And I think that the big struggle of this text is, can I live with an abundant mindset or a scarcity mindset? Because the brother thinks there's only a certain amount of value or worth or calves or, or, or barbecues. Uh, and and this old, the younger brother, he thought there was only a certain amount of stuff and I'm going to use all of my money and all of my inheritance. And yet... He comes back and there's still enough. You can have a party. And everybody is living in this, I gotta take what I can from you. How do I get my own little share, my own, my own dinner, my own inheritance? But the father throughout this story is living with abundance. And we saw him earlier say, get the robe, get the sandals, go get the best meal. And at the end of the story, we hear the father say to this older son, Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because his, this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. Hey, you have everything. Why are you acting like you don't have anything? All that's mine is yours. And even though you didn't see that, listen to that. And, and what's mine is yours, but also we got to celebrate. There is something of worth, of value here that needs to be celebrated. 
And this, this brother of yours, they go back and forth on that. Uh, the older brother's like, hey, that son of yours, the father, that brother of yours, you have a relationship too. And I think about what it is that we invite people into as a, as a church, as a faith. We invite people who are hungry to have satisfaction in God, to be filled with God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness might find justice, might find righteousness, might find things rightly oriented in the whole universe, that God's kingdom might set things right, that all that is God's is all that is ours. And the dissatisfaction that happens in our lives is is whenever we settle for something less than that, instead of all is yours, we decide, I want this thing. If I don't get this thing right here, I'm throwing a fit, how dare you? I'm not coming to the party. Man, all of it's yours. I've made this world for you. And the animals, the trees, the rivers, the mountains, this world is yours. we have a responsibility to it. And God has invited us for, to, to enjoy everything. And instead, we, we divide it up. We think, here's my little piece that I want, and I better get it. I, that other person doesn't deserve it. I deserve this. And it's so much less than what is offered to us. And that, that younger son had to learn that. He was like, man, my dad... Even the servants had more than enough. Why did I leave that behind? I went to a land that didn't live by that, and I found out that there was nothing. Not only was there nothing, but people wouldn't offer me anything. I wanted the pig food, and I got nothing. But how beautiful it is to show up someplace where everything is offered, everything is available. And I think about how excited uh, I am, I hope we all are, of of our Cafe Connection starting soon. Um, we have an opportunity to invite people to say, hey, it doesn't matter how much money you got in your pocket, you can show up, you're gonna get the best service possible. You're gonna be treated with dignity and love like you belong. Yet, there's a meal, and it's gonna be the best food we can make for you. But it's more than just a meal. We know that just a taste of what it's like to see world properly ordered where everybody matters, where God's kingdom is overflowing, that that's something worth living for. And I think for some of us, dissatisfaction starts with, man, is church just an hour of the week? Like, is my faith just an hour of the week? When we make church just an hour of the week, it doesn't feel like it can sustain us. It doesn't feel like it fulfills us as much as we would like. And so how do we turn church from being that hour of week to, man, I live church. Everywhere I am, I have the opportunity to invite people into abundant life wherever they are. At my work, at my home, in my neighborhood. And each moment the church actually gathers and does things together are wonderful celebrations of that full reality. And so it's no wonder that sometimes we just don't feel satisfied because we settle for less. And some of us are a little bit more vocal 
about dissatisfaction and we, we obviously run away. And some of us are subtle in our dissatisfaction. We're in earshot and tell me what's going on. I'm not showing up. I just want to know. And we're missing it. Man, there's a feast going on. Why on earth are we, we squandering things? Enjoy God's beautiful table together. God has enough. And I love that we can keep showing up and that God sees us, no matter how much we've messed it up, wants to put a robe on you, wants to give you some new shoes. Some people might love that even more than others. He's got a celebration with, for you, with you, for others. It's not always about your celebration. And that invitation is always available. It's not just your lowest moments in life. It's not just when you've had a, a DUI or, or whatever kind of moment that like struck you from your sleep. Sometimes it's just realizing I was on the porch grumbling. I was grumbling in the wilderness of Israel saying, maybe I should go back to Egypt. And the father is still there saying, we got to celebrate. Come in. And that invitation is always available, is always open. And so maybe today is the day that we come back to God, no matter where we've been. So what will we do? Will we come home to the table? Lord God, I pray that you might be in our hearts, that you might be in our, in our hands and feet and our actions. Lord, for those who feel ashamed, who feel broken, Lord, I ask that you might help us to see the clothes that you clothe us in, the shoes for coming home, that we might not be afraid, but we would have courage as we run to you, that we would not find a, a disappointed or judgmental God, but we'd find the God that wants to celebrate with us. Lord, I ask for all who are squandering, Lord, help us to see how we are giving things up and that there's only emptiness there, that it doesn't last. Lord, give us eyes for what sustains, for what brings life abundantly. Help us to seek after your things and not ours. Lord, for those who need eyes to see where am I at in this story? Lord, if we're on the outside struggling to celebrate, Lord, I ask that you might turn our hearts towards you and that we might celebrate with you. Lord, I ask that you would turn all of us into images of you, that we might be like the Father who's always got welcoming arms, who's always willing to, to look past what is less than, and to see what could be. Lord, help us to celebrate. Help us to have lives that are joyful about what you are doing. 
Help us to live with that abundance that you live with. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.